Well, this morning it is a privilege to have a special guest speaker with us, Dr. Henry Morris III from the Institute for Creation Research. And uh, he shared with our combined Sunday school classes this morning, and he'll be sharing with us uh, this morning in the worship service as well from God's Word and talking to us about worldviews in conflict. And in fact, this is one of the frontline conflicts going on right now in uh, various settings, uh, university settings, school settings, and uh, in, even within our own hearts, because it relates to heart issues. Who is the ruler of our hearts? If God is the creator, then God is the owner, then God has the right to rule over all things. So please come and share with us from God's word. Thank you. Did you bring a Bible this morning? See if you can find Second Peter. It's in the back. If you get to where you get to the glossary, you're too far. Turn back to the left. Second Peter chapter 3. Thank you for letting me worship with you this morning. That song, Be Thou My Vision, one of my father's favorites, and I can remember singing it around our uh, devotional table as a young boy. Got quite a message in it, doesn't it? Second Peter chapter 3. We're going to be talking about worldviews and conflict this morning. Peter gives us some information, I think, that are significant for us to follow. He says in these uh, latter days you've got to be remembering some things. You want to remember what the Bible talks about in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Obviously, I'm paraphrasing verse 2. And then he says, I want you to know something first. This is sort of the, the foundational consideration you need to think about in the last days. That there's going to be scoffers coming. Mockers. Walking after their own desires. They're going to be... To use the cliche today, doing their own thing. And the way that their thinking is described in the next several verses, he says, look, there's a taunt here, a, a kind of a, a mocking laughter. Where's the promise of his coming? Now, he's not, they're not talking about eschatological considerations here. They're not talking about pre-mill or post-mill or ah-mill or pan-mill or in-between-mill or whatever. They're not talking about that. They're talking about whether or not he's coming back at all. They're, they're rejecting the whole idea of the miraculous. And their rationale, really, is down in verse 4. He says, they're, they're willingly ignorant. Verse 5 says they're willingly ignorant. Verse 4 says essentially everything's always been the same. Everything has always continued as it always has, even from the beginning of creation. Now, don't miss that little phrase there. Verse 4, even the creation processes itself are the same sorts of things that we can look at today. You've heard these cliches, the presence, the key to the past, the past is the key to the future, all that sort of stuff. That's what you're hearing in philosophical chants across the world today. Peter says this is not new, but it's especially important in the last days. By the way, do you know we're in the last days? I mean, are you aware of that? Okay, I just want to make sure... Peter was in the last days, by the way, so was John. And he said, look, you've got you to gotta know this is an important principle. This is a significant thing for you to be aware of. And that thinking process, he says, is the, because they're willingly ignorant. Now, some of your newer translations don't have that phrase. 
They have made choices intellectually. Peter's phraseology in the Greek, I think, is a good translation by the King James where it said they're willingly ignorant. I, I, have, uh, <laughs> I have two children. And eight grandchildren, by the way, which is a delightful thing now. The one that gave me the most problem when I was uh, trying to rear my children was my daughter. I, I'm sorry, ladies. It just was that way. My son was perfect. <laughs> but being a, a, an astute parent, being raised by a godly family, I... I wanted to train my children in the things of God from the early ages. So when they were in those terrible twos, remember the terrible twos? And we would try to discipline them. I would always try, because I'm such a good father, I would try to tell them why I was disciplining them. And usually it would go something like this. Well, now... Dad and mother are responsible for teaching you the principles of the Scripture. And one of the principles of the Scripture is that you're supposed to obey mom and dad because we have the responsibility before God to do that. And you disobeyed our rule and we're responsible to God to punish you because... Now, you can see the eyes rolling back. My son would just... His face would get so sad and he would cry. Big old crocodile tears would come out. Yes, Daddy, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. My daughter would just do this. That's, that's willingly ignorant. Okay? They don't want anything to do with truth. Peter said, look, these folks are willingly ignorant. They, they know some things, but they've rejected the information. Now, Peter lists several things. He says they're willingly ignorant that the heavens existed by the Word of God. That's the creative power of God. They're willingly ignorant that. They're willingly ignorant that the earth, well, in the water and out of the water. That's kind of an enigmatic phrase. It's really a reference to day two of creation, where the structure that God designed on day two, really the world that he was shaping and making over the next several days was a world that he ultimately pronounced good. Do you remember that? That's not good today. <laughs> Things are really kind of bad today. But Peter says, look, they're willingly ignorant. There was a very different world back then. And then he says they're willingly ignorant that the world that then was being cataclysmos. Can you hear the English word there? Cataclysed. Catastrophic. Catastrophe. The world was overflowed by water and it perished. It ceased to exist. That number one world, that world system, well, we don't have access to that world anymore. That is, it's, it's gone. That, that environment, that, those biological systems, those kinds of things, they're not there anymore. That world was destroyed. What we're dealing with today is a new world. He talks about the heavens and the earth that are now. And here's where we get into belief systems. As Peter says, they are willingly ignorant. They've chosen to reject the Bible's data. And now they've embraced an idea. A faith. A belief. Please understand that this is the root structure of what shapes your life. Ideas have consequences. Ideas shape the way you think. The way you think then controls 
what you do, how you act. And ultimately, what you do begins to so control your lifestyle and your conscience that you really become victims of the lifestyle that you've chosen. Everybody sort of knows this. If you study human behavior, that's a pretty common understanding. You get B.C. out here. You know Johnny Hart's a Christian? Are you aware of that? Johnny Hart's a pretty cool guy. And you know he has this theme about these two coasts of people. One of them is the left coast and the other one is the right coast. Are you with me on the kind of the subtleties in the cartoon? Okay, the guy on the left here is saying, over here the Supreme Nine, we've been super effective keeping God out in the public arena. That's the stuff men are made of. And of course he puts it on a letter and sends it across the ocean. This great chasm that separates the left from the right sends it over there. The letter comes back or the answer comes back. He picks it up and looks at it. He says, what in the world, a handbasket? Now, we can chuckle at this, but we can all recognize that there's something going on at the macro level that's impacting society. Something is, is viscerally wrong in what we're dealing with. The Bible says, as you think in your heart, so are you. The Bible says, guard your heart with all energy, because out of it proceed all of the issues of life. A good man, Jesus says, out of the treasure of his heart produces good things, and an evil man out of the evil of his heart produces bad things. We know these are biblical principles. I'm not telling you anything new, but please understand it from the big picture. When we're dealing with world views, ways of thinking that impact the way we think, we are dealing with something much bigger than just where we went to school or who our parents were or what kind of job we have. We're dealing with a way of believing, really. When you come down to the bottom line, we're really dealing with what kind of faith system we have. Dallas Willard has written a number of books. He's a professor out of USC in California. He says, in our culture, it's considered educated if we know the right answers. That is, if we know which answers are the right ones. I sometimes joke to my students at the university where I teach by asking them if they believe what they wrote on the test. They always laugh because they know that belief is not required. Belief only changes life. Now think about this a minute. Think about the way we're educated. We are taught to learn answers that will get us a passing grade on the test so we can get out of school and get a diploma and get a job and never go back to school again. Are you with me on this? We're, we're not necessarily trained to learn ideas and consequences. We're sort of trained to learn the right answers. So that we can give the right answer in the given... Whether we believe it or not, is irrelevant. But in the process, most of us pick up what the secular world likes to call a philosophy of life. We pick up a way of thinking. We pick up a way of believing. And it's that that we want to address this morning. Because the belief system is really that which controls your life. As you think in your heart, so are you. Out of the good treasure of your heart, you produce good things. Out of the bad treasure of your heart, you produce evil things. The belief system is what controls the light. Now, my grandson cuts to the chase. He bought a T-shirt the other day. 
Satan is bad. Jesus is good. Be like Jesus. Now, I like that. It's pretty simple. But that's a philosophy. That's a belief system, okay? The kids like this, what would Jesus do symbols. You've seen that kind of everywhere. It gets a little bit tried after a while. But the point is, what we're trying to express in these efforts at being cute or clever or whatever is really a way of, of, of believing, a way of thinking, a way of being. From an intellectual standpoint, really what we're doing, if I think this way, I'm going to look at an activity and interpret it one way. I think the other way, well, I mentioned this morning, and I'll give the example again. In the Muslim world, there are certainly people who believe that beheading people is a good thing. I mean, they really do. I mean, they embrace that as a religious experience. We don't think that way. And our, our belief system causes us to recoil from that. But we're looking at the same activity. Are are you with me on this? We're looking at the same behavior. One of us looks at it as evil and the other one looks at it as good. The difference is the belief system. It impacts significantly how you function from a worldview terminology. And you ought to be familiar with these things because it's in all the literature that's going around today. We're talking about naturalism or naturalistic thinking or supernaturalism. I want to be a little bit more specific. When we talk about naturalism, we're really talking about humanistic, man-centered, or hmm, evolutionary. The idea that everything that comes into existence has happened by natural forces. There's nothing supernatural involved. It's telling the story without God. There are many supernatural beliefs. Buddhism is a supernatural system of thinking. So is the New Age movement. So you don't necessarily have to be a Christian to think about gods and goddesses. So I would be a little bit more definitive and I'd say, look, we want to talk about not just theism, but a creationist perspective. Are you aware that the Bible is the only religious book that starts with, in the beginning, God created? I mean, all the others talk about eternal matter or some sort of... Evolution over time. Hmm. So what? Are you familiar with Francis Schaeffer? Do you know the name? Certainly one of the better known writers of our 20th century background. These two worldviews stand as totals in complete antithesis in content and their results. It's not just that they happen to produce different results. It's absolutely inevitable that these two worldview systems will produce Different results. It's not just content we're talking about. It's results. Dr. Schaefer makes the point. It's not possible for these to be mergeable. They're, They're opposites. Not only in their content, but also in the things that they do. So when we're talking about these two opposite systems of thinking, we're talking about that which is in opposition one to another in such a way that they're not possible to harmonize From a biblical standpoint, we're looking at an intellectual battle. Paul says, just like the serpent deceived Eve, so your minds, your intellect, the Greek word nous, 
the, the, the pure intellect. So your intellect can be led astray. Do you remember Romans where he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind? You remember that? The growth process in the Christian world is an intellectual one. The intellectual battleground is where it takes place. Yes, we have emotional sides to our being. But biblically speaking, emotionals should be the result of an intellectual commitment. They ought to flow out of a belief rather than being the source of the belief. And whenever you make emotions the source of your belief, you will inevitably go into error. But if your belief systems are founded on truth, then your emotions will follow with joy and pleasure and sorrow at sin and those kinds of things that we call emotive. Well, so what? We're talking about that which is foundational. We're talking about that which determines how we live and function. We're talking about, for all practical purposes, whether the Bible is true or not. I mean, when you want to boil it down to the issues, that's what we're talking about. Is the Bible God's revelation? Is it accurate? Is it true? Or is it not? Has science proven that God lied to us in Genesis? I mean, really, that's what we're talking about. That which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed to them the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Now, I read that really fast, but what he's saying is, look, God has not just sort of operated in a vacuum. Psalm 19 says, look, every day has knowledge. Every night has speech. There's a continual message that's going out about God so that even His invisible things are clearly seen by the things that are made. How can you clearly see invisible things? <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a real, a real conundrum. How can you see invisible things? How can you clearly see the divine nature of a spirit God? How can you, how can you do that? Christianity is not the series of truth, Dr. Schaefer says. It's rather spelled with a capital T. Truth about total reality, not just about religious things. Biblical Christianity is truth concerning total reality and the intellectual holding of that truth and then living in the light of that truth. See, Christianity is not just this nice thing we do on Sunday. It is a way of believing, a way of thinking, a way of living, a way of being. And when our living and being is not in harmony with what we say we believe, not only do we have an incongruent testimony, but our whole soul is out of balance. Nobody is more miserable than someone who's born again trying to live like the world. No one is more miserable than such a person. No one is more miserable than a sinner trying to be accepted in the Christian community. And what we have done, by and large, is try somehow or other to make the two compatible. And they are not. They are not. The Bible says if you're born again, you are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I mean, this is a whole new thing. You are created after God in righteousness and true holiness. 
Do you know you're a saint? Do you know that? That's what the Bible calls you if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Saint Henry. Did you know that? Yes, I'm one of the holy ones of God. That's what the Bible says about me. Because God has transferred His righteousness to me. And it ought to make a difference in the way I live. And the way I think. And the people I go with. And the things I do. And the way I smell. This guy's an evolutionist. He's a Jewish atheist as far as I know. Creation and evolution between them exhaust the possible explanation for the origin of living things. Now, he's honest. you got two systems. One's creation. One's evolution. Organisms either appeared on the earth fully developed or they didn't. If they didn't, they must have developed from pre-existing species by some process of modification. That's the dollar ninety-five way of saying evolution. If they did appear in a fully developed state, they must have been created by an omnipotent intelligence. It's interesting. He's honest. He says, look, you can't have it both ways. It's either or. By the way, the only people who do the attempts to harmonize the two worldviews are Christians. The evolutionists never compromise. It's only the Christians. That bothers me. I don't know whether it bothers you or not, but it bothers me. Hey, we we know all ideas are equal, right? (laughs) All cultures, all religions. I know that you know this name. Everybody reads these journals. And you know who Professor Lewontin is. He's actually at the top of the food chain academically. He's the guy who teaches the teachers. He's the head of the Harvard Graduate School. He's... He's a big dude, academically, okay? He's one of those super brains. He has more degrees than most people have shirts. He's a big guy. He writes prolifically. He impacts a lot of people who teach your kids, okay? That's how important this guy is. Our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense. Now, don't miss what he's saying here. I'm willing to accept scientific claims that are against common sense. It's key to understanding the real struggle between science and the supernatural. We take the side of science in spite of its failure to fulfill many of the extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for just those stories, because we have a prior commitment to materialism. Now, what's he saying? I know science is full of hooey. But I'm going to teach it to you anyway because my commitment's to materialism. Are you with me what he's saying? I mean, this is, this is his word, not mine. Now, he goes on to say in the same article, it's not that the methods and institutions of science compel us to accept. Please don't miss what he's saying. I don't have to do this by the evidence. I don't have to be compelled to be accepting material explanation of the phenomenal world. But on the contrary, we are forced by our in the first place, adherence to material causes, to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is absolute because we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. Did you catch what he's saying? Peter says they're willingly ignorant. Did you catch that? They, by the way, you don't ever see that. 
in the Denver Post. You don't see it in the L.A. Times. You don't see it in the New York, the New York Times. You don't see it on Fox News. You don't see it at the public level. Where you find these quotes are at the egghead to egghead level. At the journals. Professors talking to professors, admitting to one another that they're lying to you. This is not secret. It's just a well-kept piece of information. I'm on the brink of understanding, Peter Atkins says. I can understand everything. I commend you to use your brains, yes, because your brains are the most wonderful instruments in the universe. And through your brains, you can see that you can do without God. There's no necessity for God because science can explain everything. Oh, my word. Talk about arrogance. Talk about willing ignorance. Well, here's where it impacts me. What am I? Am I just a higher order animal or am I designed by God? Am I empowered to stand on top of the pile and claim my rights or am I commissioned as a steward to take care of God's creation? What, what am I? Why am I here? These are the basic issues that all of us face. The worldview I believe in makes a difference on how I look at this. Here's what the naturalist says. You're just a bit of slime on the planet. I <laughs> love that. More or less a farcical outcome. You know what farcical means? A joke. You're a joke. You're a joke on a chain of accidents. Or you're a robot vehicle. You're an ingenious machine <laughs> that evolved as strange byproducts in an odd corner of the universe. <sighs> well, that ought to give you a good self-image, shouldn't it? <laughs> But you see, that's consistent with a naturalistic worldview. That's consistent with thinking that there's no God. Well, of course, you know what God says. You bear His image. You bear His responsibility to be the steward over the things that He has created. You share in a unique way in who and what He has designed for eternity. You are the standard bearer. The Scripture says the angels look at you as an example of what God is doing through eternity. I mean, that, that's a lot different than a piece of slime on the planet. It's a big difference in the way you see yourself. Well, for a long time, we've been subjected to this. You're familiar with this, of course. There's no such thing as truth. Everything is okay in any context. There's no limits on what you can do. I mean, you ladies use L'Oreal because you're worth it. And I have a Burger King my way. I mean, we're just inundated with this sort of stuff. It's all around us, of course. And it's kind of like being a fish. You don't know you're wet. You're just, you're just in it. It's all around you. And we have to rise above that and be conscious of what's going on What are you? The naturalist says you're a random accident. He says religious faith is evil. See, the naturalist looks at the big picture very differently. Starts with eternal matter. The origins change right now. The Big Bang sort of in favor. 
But everything is based on random forces, natural energies, higher order, social evolution, new world orders, world peace. When you hear these political statements, know where they're coming from. They're not coming from the Scripture. They're coming from a naturalistic worldview that essentially takes the position that now that we have evolved to the point where we are in control of our own evolution, we can now control our destiny. We're the master of our ship. We can choose the road less traveled. You see, when I'm my own God, I can kind of do what I want to do. From an evolutionary standpoint, science really becomes just a sort of search for knowledge so I can exploit it, get rich, indoctrinate others. Have you ever seen those advertisements in the newspaper where they say, come to my seminar and pay me three ninety five, and I'll tell you how to be a millionaire? You ever seen those things? I mean, really what we're doing is sort of perpetuating a system of how I can get on the top of the pile of the dead bodies that I've left behind me because they're not fit to survive. The biblical worldview is very different. Not only does it start with a creation, but then a judgment on those who are in charge of the responsibility for the creation, a flood that destroyed that first world, and a dispersion of the languages. All of this is very clear in Scripture. But you see, the the matrix in which this story is now told is based on God's love and patience and the focus of reconciliation, the whole context of salvation. You see, the naturalistic worldview cannot accommodate that thinking. It, it, It doesn't fit. Salvation is a silly context. It just doesn't make any sense in a naturalistic standpoint. I'm my own savior. I can think and grow rich. Think of the kinds of things that you're taught without even really understanding you're being bombarded. The Bible's message is very, very different. From a bigger perspective, really, see, science, from a biblical perspective, is an attempt to discover truth, not just data, not just information. And then it wants to implement that truth or apply it and then put it into some form that helps everybody, transmitting the truth and then making some sort of a message that glorifies the truth. By the way, have you you ever noticed the difference in an art museum? You go to the galleries that contain the Renaissance paintings. I mean, some of those paintings will take your breath away. They're just absolutely gorgeous. And the, the colors and the, the, the expressions and the detail and the story that's in the paintings are, are, you can sit sometimes and just stare at them for a long time. Walk down the hall to the modern art gallery. And the first painting you see looks like a gorilla vomited on it. The shift in thinking is huge over that 500 years. The shift has gone from man's role to glorify truth and glorify God, even though it was distorted during that period of time by the doctrinal error of the church that was in control. 
it still has as its, well, you remember the well-known musician that signed all of his compositions to the glory of God? It was a way of thinking back then. Today, not only do we want to not glorify God, we want to deify man. And when we express what's in me, some of the ugliest, horrible things come out. Have you ever seen some of those paintings that just make your whole face screw up in pain? Because it's expressing the horror and the sin and the ugliness and the bitterness and the anger that's in the unsaved heart. Worldviews make a huge difference. You see, the biblical worldview, not only does it begin with the Creator God, I, I hope you know that creation is not just a Genesis thing. I mean, it's, it's all through Scripture. All of the power of God, all of the majesty of God, all of the wonder, all of the ability to save you is based on His omnipotent show of power in the creation. Do you not know that the one who hung on the cross for you is the same one who spoke the world into existence? Do you not know that the one who gave His life to give you His righteousness is the same one who said, let there be light? I mean, Jesus is the Creator. The Scripture is very clear on this. It's not ambiguous. Now, either it's telling us the truth or it's telling us a lie. You don't have an alternative here. You see, you can't just have this kind of nice guy that picks you up in his arms and carries you when you're tired or makes you feel good and kisses your face when you have tears. Please don't misunderstand my being a little bit snide. Jesus does have a warmth and a love he cares for everything about you. There's no question that that's true. Every hair on your head is numbered. Every breath you breathe is by His permission. He knows all of those things, but He is also absolutely holy. And He will not tolerate rebellion against Him. He may put up with it for a while, but He won't overlook it. And you cannot have a relationship just based on Him being nice. You've got to understand that He is also your judge and your Creator and your King and your Lord and your Master and your Owner. And when you come to Jesus Christ, that's what you're doing. You're submitting to your Creator. You're bowing down before your Lord. You're giving your homage to your King. It makes a difference in the way you live. It makes a difference in the way you think. See, these worldviews are really important. They're not just intellectual curiosities that we talk about over a bingo game. They are foundational issues of life. Let's look at Peter again. 
He says, these folks are willingly ignorant. They've rejected what God has done. That world that was created, well, it was destroyed. But the same word, verse 7, the heavens and the earth that are now. By the way, Peter talks about three worlds here. World number one is in verse 4, 5, and 6. World number two is 7 through 10. World number three starts in verse 10. We're in world two. The heavens and the earth that are now. By the same word. What word is he talking about? The word back there in verse four. Or by verse five, where he says, by the word of God, the heavens were of old. The same supernatural creative authority that spoke it into existence in the first place is now the supernatural authority that holds it together. By the same word, now Peter says in the King James, are kept in store. Some of your translations say preserve. Some of your translations say reserve. Some of them say held together. Paul said the Colossian church uses the same idea. He says, by him all things consist. Hmm. Reserving it to fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Don't be ignorant of this one thing. Why, if any verse in Scripture has been messed up, it's this one. Be not ignorant of this one thing. One day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. I've heard that verse quoted in every context imaginable. What he's simply saying is here, look, God is not time bound. God can do in a day what you think take a thousand years to do. Or He can wait for a thousand years when you think He ought to act in a day. Have you ever had that deliciously sinful feeling when somebody does you a dirty? You know, you kind of pull the... Like when you were a kid, you know, you used to pull the blanket over your head. And hide in the covers and imagine all those terrible things. You know, like sticking a pin in their eyeball, things like that. If we were God and had the power, don't you think we would go, Zap! Zap! Well, I'm sure glad God could wait a few years for Henry. Aren't you glad he waited for you? Aren't you glad He didn't zap you when you deserved it? Aren't you glad? And that's exactly what the next verse says. The, day, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but He's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's the whole focus of the message of Scripture. You see, if Genesis 1, 2, and 3 aren't true, then the rest of Scripture is stupid. Makes no sense. Has no application. If Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are not actual history, if the fall is not real, if the creation was not perfect, if the judgment was not the sentence of death, if death is the good thing that makes the fittest survive, then the whole message of Scripture is worthless. You can't compromise these two. You can't have it both ways. Either God is true and every man is a liar, as Paul says. Or God is a liar, and whatever you believe is okay. I don't know about you, but like Joshua says, as for me and my house, I'll serve the Lord. Father, thank you for the time we've been able to share together. 
Lord, help us not to just be intellectually satisfied with this, but help us really to be challenged to see how important these issues are. Help us to examine our own lives and our own thoughts and our own commitments. Help us to be able, in the context of learning, to understand how to use it. Don't make us guilty of just learning answers. Help us to understand what's being taught so that with the information we can begin not only to use truth, but to apply it and to testify of it and to see it reap a full reward in our lives before Thee. Oh, Father, we love You. We own You as our Lord, our King, our Master, our Creator. We give You our worship and our honor now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.